Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. week I get to talk all about one of my favourite topics, physical well-being. Whilst being no elite athlete myself, I've always loved exercise and it's something which has played a huge part in my life. So I was delighted to sit down with Pieter McCrum, wellness and fitness entrepreneur, someone who has made a business out of helping others prioritise and improve their physical health and well-being and love themselves every single day. It's no secret that our physical and mental well-being are intertwined. And Pieta talks about this with me, sharing the beginning of her exercise journey as a young teenager. As a girl, Pieta was encouraged to exercise to help battle regular panic attacks and anxiety. Since then, sports and movement has been a crutch she has lent on, particularly to help her through hard times such as grief, birth, and moments of transition and upheaval which she shares with me really candidly. I think often in life, there's a moment of challenge that uh, makes or breaks us for Pieta. The birth of her second child exacerbated her severe back pain and she was forced to re-evaluate her life, both in her personal and professional capacity. Pieta made the really bold decision to leave her career of 22 years in film and television and focus on curing her chronic pain before using her learnings to help other women in the same position. From humble beginnings, running a free fitness groups for mothers and children at her local school, to now running a truly commercial business, connecting women across the world to reach their health and fitness goals. Pieta certainly knows the meaning of resilience and hard work. It was such a joy to speak to Pieta and a reminder of just how important it is for us to prioritize both our mental and our physical health. I really hope this episode of Reset the Podcast inspires you to focus on your wellness, even if you start for just five minutes a day. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow, rate and share with your colleagues and friends. It makes a real difference to us. Thank you. Hello, Pieta. So lovely to meet you today. Thank you for having me on this glorious sunny day. It's lovely to be here. It is lovely. And we're going to be talking about physical well-being a lot today. So somehow, I think sunny days always make us feel a lot better, don't they? Always, without a doubt. (laughs) So you were born in New Zealand. Um, And I guess, you know, for us, that, well, I, I grew up in Cornwall. So, you know, I spent a lot of time on the beach and in the sea. But for me, people that come from New Zealand are fit and outdoorsy and sporty. Was that you as a child? It was, actually. I mean, that's not necessarily the whole population, but it's it's a good stereotype. <laughs> um, I was, How you described your own lifestyle and experience of living by the sea is very similar to mine. I grew up on the beaches. 
um, also a country girl. I had horses. Um, and, you know, New Zealand has great outdoors. So, you know, it's wonderful to step outside. And, and I was, you know, I loved the outdoors. So I was quite an active, active child. Yeah. So when you were young, did you dream of being in the kind of well-being, sporty space? Because um, you got there, but you, that wasn't the first place that you went, was it? No, not at all. In fact, a complete career flip. I think when I was a child, you know, I was a very confident child, very um, physically able, you know, I was very mature for my age, quite tactile. I loved people and animals. Um, so actually probably my first desire um, as a profession was to be a vet. <laughs> and when I learned the kind of study that was required for that, I very quickly <laughs> changed my mind. But I um, was very passionate about horse riding from the age of about six until my mid-teens. So I was a competitive horse rider, very, very um, committed to that. Um, and then I, at boarding school, um, when I was in my late teens, I started to run. And the reason I started running at the time was not necessarily for aesthetics or to, you know, to feel fit and to look better um, as a young girl. For me, actually, it was because I was dealing with panic attacks and, and anxiety at the time, which, you know, is rife even now with a lot of teenagers going through their exams and whatnot. So it really helped me heal. And then later in my 20s, I guess, you know, running and, and fitness was something that really helped me cope with grief. So my my dear stepfather died and I ran two marathons that year that he died, Paris and New York. And it was a way of helping me just cope, cope with that extra stress. I mean, now it's in the thir my 30s, it completely changed. I mean, I met my husband. I had a couple of children. We did some triathlons. I mean, on my own personal journey, which I will share more on that um, too, but it um, really then drove home my passion for wanting to help women just like me in terms of really helping them understand the ripple effect, the benefits of fitness and movement on a much deeper level, not just the aesthetics and not just because you should be, you should be but also on a spiritual, emotional level, but also on a performance level, particularly for, you know, very busy uh, professional women. Mm. Yeah, and we'll come on and talk about that. That's really, that's a great place to start. But can we just, let's go back to something you just said where, you know, you talked about doing exercise, doing your running to kind of cope with anxiety. Um, tell us a little bit about that because did you make that natural link or did somebody say, look, if you do this exercise, you're going to be able to maybe emotionally cope with some of the mental challenges that you've got? Great question. I think at the time, um, you know, when I was a teenager and I was suffering panic attacks and anxiety, it was, it was terribly scary because I didn't really understand what was happening to me at the time. Mm -hmm. So running um, was suggested or just exercise or doing some kind of sport to focus on something else was suggested to help during this process of trying to cope with and deal with anxiety. So it was initially suggested to me and then it just became very quickly ingrained in my life because I really felt so much better. And, you know, there is an absolute correlation between our mental well-being, our mental health and, and our physical health. They absolutely actually are connected. They are one. Um, I also learned in my teens, you know, that my gut health was um, really impacting too the way that I was feeling. Um, and, you know, as a teenager, we don't know really a lot about healthy food unless we're taught um, a lot of junk food and whatnot. And so that really did affect me too. So I started to connect the dots. But, you know, obviously now I'm 44 now and there's a, 
a heap of experience under my belt that has really helped me understand the power of linking the two. So, you know, the power of our mental and our physical well-being, you know, we actually have three brains, not just the cranial. We have our heart brain, we have our gut brain, and they all talk to each other all the time. And when they're in alignment, we feel at peace, we feel at harmony with our body. When our physical health is in a good state, it impacts our mental health. If our mental health is not in a great state, then it, of course, has a negative impact on our physical health. So for me, yeah, running was my first initial, I guess, introduction to how um, it, it could really be that powerful tool to help me stay as healthy as possible, both mentally and physically. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then you talked a little bit about it helped you with your grief of your stepfather. Yes. I'm always interested in this because I think for some people going through, you know, a massive moment of grief or, or, or something like that, they naturally turn to exercise, but quite a lot of people also don't. Absolutely. Um, and actually, you know, I, I, you know, even I, and a little bit like you, I know I love exercise and I know it's really good for me. So I feel so much better. Even if I just go out for a walk, it's fine. Um, but there are often days where I lie in bed in the morning and go, oh, maybe I'll just stay here and I won't get out of bed. And I'll feel fine because it won't really matter. And my brain talks myself into it's okay. I don't really need exercise, particularly in the winter, to be honest. Um, Again, with you and the grief moment, did your body naturally go, you know, I've got to get rid of some of these feelings and exercise is one of those things? Or were you pushing yourself by then to say, you know, I think this is one of the ways I'm going to use to help myself recover from this? Great question. I think, you know, a very interesting learning curve for anyone where they're going through grief is seeing how people in your close family unit respond to grief. And as you very aptly pointed out, some people naturally fall to exercise because that's their outlet and others don't. And that the ones that don't, it could be, you know, completely going downhill in their own way, perhaps drinking more or other substance, substances to help them cope. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, it was a natural feeling to, to then go for running because of my anxiety experience in the past. But it was also a really positive way of me helping support my family um, to show them that actually through this process of grief, I could actually do something positive. I could actually raise money for cancer, you know, because he died from cancer. I could actually be the example rather than being, I guess, an added pressure to a family that are already suffering. So for me, it was, you know, you know, as a, and growing up as a, as a little girl, you know, I was an only child. I was a pretty tough kid. You know, my mum brought me up on her own. Um, she did her very best to support me. She's amazing. But she had, you know, she had depression. And, you know, I think as a very young girl, I was four, four or five, you know, I felt, I felt that I had needed to help support my family in some way. And I do believe that that has carried through my life. So in these different milestones, including this moment of grief, Yeah, I think that that has carried through where running really became the reason um, to run rather than not to. Yeah, that's interesting. And so just tell me a little bit more about that that need to kind of nurture, to look after, um, you look after your mum, look after your family. 
um, you know, in the kind of work that we're going to do now, look after people. Mm. Do you think it's come from that moment or is, or is it come from, I think only childs are very interesting, aren't they? Because you don't have that sort of sibling rivalry. So maybe you feel a different kind of relationship with, in your instance, your mum, but also maybe your other family members. Yeah, I mean, I think only children get a bit of a bad rap, don't they? <laughs> only child. But I was, you know... I was very, very happy child, very loved. And I think just because it was situational, I think really, you know, I learned a lot from my beautiful mum, still do, you know, she's an absolute heroine in my eyes. Um, we're all survivor, you know. That's amazing. Um, and I think, you know, you're either born with certain traits or you're not. And for me, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to help. I wanted to heal. I wanted to support. It was just something that I naturally did. And obviously wanting to be a vet. I loved animals. I wanted to look after and heal animals. I mean, my mother tells me a story of the time that she found me by some swings in the playground trying to resuscitate a dead bird. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how is that possible? But I was, I was always caring and nurturing in some way. And I think, you know, um, obviously where I've arrived today, you know, I help uh, women thrive and build strong foundations who have been through a lot in their lives. You know, there's women over their 40s and 50s who have got a lot to share and a lot of pain and a lot of accomplishments. And, you know, I, I like to really bring in my own experience to help nurture these women so that they feel well looked after. Yeah, yeah. And so when did you move from this, you know, rather idyllic but also very caring environment um, from New Zealand. When did you move to the UK? Oh, I was 27. So I'm 44 now. So it was 17 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually quite late. I was quite late to move from New Zealand to the UK because in New Zealand, typically after university, that's when you would then Yeah, jump. did you grow up? It's interesting. You know, I grew up in Cornwall knowing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I couldn't stay. You know, mm -hmm. it was kind of drilled into me from, you know, when I was young. Didn't have to necessarily go to university. But you absolutely had to leave Cornwall. There was no kind of yeah. career. So I went to university and then that was that. And actually now I have a bit of a life in both, which is lovely. But is that the same for you? So, yes, but but you took a bit of time to to leave. Yeah, well, I I mean, I decided not to to leave so quickly with all my friends because I still um, I, I'd found a really good job. I was working on my career in New Zealand, whereas a lot of my friends didn't really know what they wanted to do. The, the next progression was let's go to the UK. They all went to London. I and mean, back then it was three, three and a half pounds, you know, so three and a half New Zealand dollars to the pound. So it was a very extractive place to come. Yeah. Um, but I was very committed and focused on my career at the time. I was just budding. TV production and TV presenting, you know, that was that was my focus. Um, so very different from obviously veterinary um, desires to now actually actually following the career of my father. My dad was a radio announcer, he was a photographer, he was a journalist. Um, he did, you know, he still makes documentaries to this day, now making a big feature film. So it felt like the natural for, you know, pathway for me at the time. So I stayed in New Zealand and had an amazing career but then there is a tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand it's not the only country that has it I know that but in New Zealand it's really quite prominent it's quite strong it happens from a very young age you know a lot of this cutting down successes or downplaying successes so no one can shine too brightly and actually that is one of the reasons why I left because I wanted more I wanted a lot more than what I felt that New Zealand could offer so I came over to London 
I was 27, I barely touched the ground. I went to um, Cannes for, with my father for um, a TV doco film festival. I met an amazing uh, fellow Kiwi, funnily enough, um, in a bar, and we got chatting, and she happened to be the um, senior director for international for MTV at the time, which was my childhood dream. I mean, music television for me was like oh, amazing. We didn't have MTV in New Zealand. We hardly barely had music television. So um, we we got chatting, and she needed my skill set. She needed someone who could help build out this new digital platform for MTV. So I had a job all of a sudden, barely being there a day. Wow. <laughs> ten years later, ten years later, I was still working for um, Viacom, so under MTV. Oh, that's and, interesting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting career to choose. I can get the father connection. So absolutely. So you knew a bit about it. You had perhaps access to it. But if you think about, you know, you as a child, very caring, you know, a little bit of anxiety there. It's, it's a tough old profession, isn't it? Oh. You know, pretty cutthroat. If, if I was, you know, if you were looking at your younger self now, would you have said, oh, that's a great career for you? Um. <laughs> I, it's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I had a fabulous career. It was 22 years in TV and media. Wow. But I a think long time. Yeah. A long time. You know, I was ready to, I was ready to leave, you know, after, after that period. But, but back then, you know, I was exploring. I was trying new things. I was literally flexing my own muscle in a, in a way that, you know, um, I guess I was, I was pretty fearless. I was a very fearless person back then um, I started my you know my career in TV presenting uh, reality TV production management I mean I was working in Tonga on uninhabited islands and doing you know all sorts of travel shows around Australia so it was exciting you know but it really did play havoc on my anxiety levels I won't I won't lie but it taught me a lot about how to manage that how much my health and my fitness had to be a part of my strategy through this period of growth and exploration of my own career and, and how did you manage that? Because I think, you know, for us, well, for me, you know, the moment I get busy and actually when I'm at home, it's, or if I'm, I'm just kind of commuting into London, that's easy because it kind of fits in my room. But the moment you start doing other things and you're maybe traveling in different countries, very hard to keep mm. any form of well-being exercise together. How did you manage to pull that together? Well, it becomes, I think it's about a flicking the switch of perspective of, of priorities, right? Because us as, as women, we're very, very good at putting everything else and everyone, you know, everything and everyone else first, right? Where we often put ourselves last. And I mean, that's no secret. We all know that. But actually changing perspective and rewiring the brain to actually make it the main thing, the number one priority is the trick. And I think because of my experience with the way it helped me with my grief, with the way it helped me with my anxiety, I knew that it was an essential tool for me to survive, really. So it became part of my lifestyle. So anytime I was traveling, anytime I was out of my usual routine, I would work it out. I'd go, okay, I must move the body and I must take time to breathe and I must take time to reflect. And that looks different to everyone. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take up hours of my day, but I did make it a, a discipline. It was a discipline. And I certainly noticed if I didn't do it, how it made me feel. So, um, you know, there's, I've got lots of tricks up my sleeve of how I help my ladies do that themselves because everyone has a different lifestyle of how to organize their time. And a lot of it comes down to prioritizing or time blocking. 
um, but understanding all the triggers. So what, are the, what is it that, that helps you perform your best? And it can be simple things like breathing better, yes. you know, nasal breathing rather than that sort of shallow mouth breathing. So it's a good question to ask yourself. Drinking more water, just drinking more water can make a big difference, you know, as one of those things that you continue to always do whether you're traveling or whether you're at home and always getting out to move the body. I mean, I think, you know, going for a run or doing some exercise outside in a new place is one of the best tools for sightseeing. You know, you can go and see so much more. So, yeah, yeah, so it's more of a strategy. It's a strategy that I felt that it was an unconditional thing I had to keep doing. Yes, yes, I can see that. I I personally look at my weekly diary and go, when am I going to exercise? And then on a day-to-day basis, if I don't exercise first thing, because that's when I like doing it, I just make sure that I know before I get out of bed, I like kind of think about what am I going to wear today and what exercise am I going to do and where does it fit? And then I feel like I'm okay for the day. Absolutely. Planning ahead. I mean, having that forward planning vision is such a great intentional thing to do because then you, the energy flows that way. You can plan the rest of your day around it. And it's also prioritized. It's actually in the diary, put it in the diary, like a meeting. So no one can book a call with you or you can't book yourself to do anything else. I think just little tweaks like that can make the world of difference for those that find it a a tough thing to embed. But also the final thing I was going to say is finding the joy. You have to find the joy in the movement you do rather than looking at it as a, as a punishment for perhaps an indulgent weekend or um, someone's just told you they should, you should do it. Actually finding the joy in the movement is, is the success, not just doing exercise for the sake of doing exercise. It's going to make you feel good. You know, you're so right. I've just come out of a meeting with Let's Reset are um, facilitating and running a well-being program um, on the beach this weekend in Perranporth in Cornwall. And it's a trial for us. We've never done it before. So we've got yoga and surf lessons and wild swimming and, you know, a whole lot of kind of lovely activities and a debate about, you know, exactly this from sort of surviving to thriving. And what does that look like? And we were just having a meeting going, do you know what? I know this feels quite stressful because no one's ever done it before. And in in this environment, obviously lots of people do wellbeing festivals and it's basically a music festival. So, but it is meant to be fun. You know, so we need to make it fun for ourselves and the team. And then everyone else is going to find it fun because otherwise it becomes just a, you know, a sort of thing you're measuring against or you're manically doing or it's very stressful. And at the end of the day, it should just be like a highlight of the day, not a highlight of the day. Mm, absolutely I totally couldn't agree more and that's what I like to create as an environment for you know all my lovely ladies that join me every morning online because I have an online environment and they're in their own environments around the world and I think it's so important to be able to provide or to have an environment or to have a certain type of movement that makes you feel amazing when you walk away from that yeah Tell us a little bit more about this. Tell us a bit more about the business. So you were there, you were in the film industry 22 years. Had you had your children by this time? Were you still in that? No. So I I had my first son when I was about 30, I've forgotten, 32, 33. Um, so I'd met my, my husband at MTV. And actually it was he and I who got into triathlons at that point. And this is where my my fitness started to evolve. It's all of a sudden we hit our 30s and our 40s and we start doing these more um, endurance events. Um, and I hadn't started my business then because I was still at MTV. It was actually the probably the biggest reset button ever was having children. And I think every mother would agree because you 
everything changes. Yeah. Um, particularly my, my, I guess, alignment with what I was doing in terms of my career. So I fell out of love with the role. I fell out of love with, with, my, with my industry. Um, I was very grateful for that, that amazing time in my life, but I wanted to do something else. And I just knew it was going to be something in the wellness and the women's fitness space. I just didn't know how to get there. But I had a mountain to climb first, and that was first quitting, quitting my job, yes. which was a big reset, right? So that was after my second son. I was like, right, that's it. I've done a decade at MTV. It's time to leave. And But I still I had a health issue to deal with, and this was my, my back history issue, which we talked about earlier between you and I mm. offline. And, and, you know, my history of back pain had started after my first son. It was something that I, unbeknownst to me, I'd had disc degeneration for some time from all my snowboarding accidents and falling off horses and, you know, just being a human, sitting down too long. It's quite common. Um, and obviously having children was a catalyst for this. So I suffered, I really suffered back pain for a few years, right up until I had my second son. And it was that moment I was like, right, I'm going to quit my job and I need to sort my health out because I cannot deal with this pain anymore. If I want to be a good mom, if I want to actually create something new, I need to be pain-free, strong, energized and able. So I started with my own personal health journey first and, and that was quite eye-opening because I had to really do an overhaul of my nutrition, understand the effect of my gut health and my mental health. Um, and then obviously build a strong body to support my back. So I was pain free and I did it. I absolutely did it. And I learned a hell of a lot along the way. Well, what did you do? Cause I, you know, I think it's one of the questions that we get asked more than probably anything else, which is, you know, people, I think increasingly understand gut. We, uh, you know, I was talking to Dr. Julia Jones about it on a podcast, but also we had talked about the, power up festival i am obsessed with gut health because i've seen the massive impact it's had on me mm. but i think you know it is something people are beginning to get mm. um you know we sort of know the mental physical bit but what did you do on that journey and how did you approach it i decided to embark on a form of detox I think, you know, being a mom of, of two at the time, I was exhausted. I wasn't really looking after myself very well. My husband and I were indulging in wine and too much chocolate. <laughs> and I'm sure many people listening resonate. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I just felt, I felt absolutely out of sorts. Mm. So I decided to, it took me a while. I, I won't admit it wasn't something that I just decided to do overnight, but it was, it took me a while to find the right thing. So I decided to do a cleanse and do a detox. And actually that was the most transformative thing because I had to really look at what was not serving me, what was best for me as an individual. And then how could I sustain this going forward? What was going to be the long-term lifestyle habit changes mm. so it was a bit of a nutrition overhaul starting with purging all the toxins and helping rebalance my body including my hormones um that is a whole nother podcast <laughs> yes <laughs> but but um you know in short it it was it changed it changed me within i guess about a month actually i felt like a new woman now from that point, my pain actually started to subside, which was a really interesting light bulb moment. So I was very stressed, very tired, very toxic. We hold a lot of our, all of our stress and toxins can be felt in pain and, and the pain in my back started to subside. So there was definitely an answer there that I was on the right path, more alkaline, 
So then I could move again. I could actually get up and start to exercise again. And I started with gentle running, but then I really delved into actually what needed to support a strong back. So I learned a lot about um, the spine, about our hips, about our glutes, about supporting the whole body top to toe. And it was that moment in my journey of recovery that I became my strongest, fittest self, but then also had a lot of people come to me asking me how I did it because I couldn't believe how many other women out there just like me mm-hmm. um, who were suffering back pain and quietly, you know, not really talking about it, soldiering on. Um, and a lot of men too. I mean, everyone, gosh, it was, it was phenomenal just simply from sitting down too long, sitting at the, you know, on the car too long. So um, I started to help people through how I, you know, just sharing my, my tips and my advice. And then it actually to cut a long story short, and then progressed me to launching my own business to help women feel stronger in themselves um, who also had various similar um, history to me. Yeah. So it was nutrition and it was movement, but doing the right movement with the right plan and mindset as well. And, and how was that? How did it go? Was it, was it a kind of big, how did you get the women and how did you start? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I started my business, so that's 2015, and I live here in a little village called Hampton, down by Hampton Court Palace. We were mm-hmm. new to the area. We'd just moved from Brixton, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a soul. So obviously having children, the best way to meet people is through the nurseries or the schools, and a lot of those mothers didn't know each other. So we started to do, I did free fitness and the playgrounds for all the mums and their kids because they would have constantly complained that they couldn't. They couldn't because they always had a child attached to the hip. So I was like, well, bring them, bring them to the playground and let's do this. We did it twice a week. I did it for free for two years, all year round, rain or shine or snow. They would keep turning up and we would have huge groups of women. Um, and we do it for free. It was, I did it for free. At that Why? Well, I think like anyone, I was still trying to figure out what my vision for my business was because at that point I was very much, I was very much nutrition focused. So I was helping a lot of people with their nutrition and the fitness kind of thing was just a, a great way of meeting people. But obviously it dovetailed beautifully. Right. I, I did it for free because I, at that point was probably suffering imposter syndrome um, I didn't really feel like I had a clear business plan in mind. I was muddling through. I wasn't necessarily taking myself very seriously until others really started to take me seriously. And that was actually the confidence boost I needed. I think I had women come to me saying, can you please do a program or do something where we don't have to bring our children now? Cause we were all growing together. The kids were now at school. So I was like, okay, so that's actually how, how it kind of started. Um, and it became, became then my main focus. And the nutrition, obviously, is embedded into it anyway. Yeah. But it has grown and evolved somewhat since then. Um, it used to be all in person. Obviously, COVID happened. It threw me online overnight. I became global overnight. It grew my business significantly. And, and then as a result, actually, you know, I've always been very passionate about helping women make that transition or talk to them about not being afraid to, to leave corporate and start something new on their own. I think because I've been through that journey myself. So I evolved the business to have an element where it could offer more value for my members. So I wanted to support a lot of my founding members because everyone that was coming were accomplished, enterprising, really interesting, planet conscious women from all over the world. 
and and we're all highly engaged. So a lot of what they were offering, I wanted to share with the world. So I wanted they're either pelvic health specialists or you know interior designers slash hoteliers or executive coaches or you know um, transformational healers, but all amazing, amazing people. So I started a collective uh, where it was a referral based um, arrangement. Yep. But also because we were tried and tested, they were part of my body hit, my business, my group. And also it was a way of helping them boost their business, but also because I loved what they were offering. And it was a great way of helping, you know, grow my business in a whole nother realm from just doing online fitness to then becoming something that would support women in business and really help me evolve um, in my own realm as well. Um, so now it's, yeah, quite, quite a change from, 2015 from a little you know playground hit class to now a global business yeah yeah and how many and it really does feel like a community and I think if you go onto your excuse me onto your website um if you follow your sessions it, it does feel like you've created a kind of community how many women are part of it so I have about it's about 60 women worldwide who are part of my full-time membership and they've been with me for years. Right. And, and it's growing and we have a, obviously a much bigger community um, outside of that. But um, the way that body hit works or the way that my, my challenges work is it's challenge based. So every six weeks we start a new challenge and I have a membership because they like to use the, you know, the online library, like an online gym. So but they have the accountability and, and like the women, you know, very, um, I mean, what amazes me about community is that they really do engage. I think, you know, as a business to have a community like I have, it's like just, I'm so grateful. I am so um, in awe of how these communities become, can become such a powerful tool. Um, but from a wellness perspective, you know, to have a community that are so engaged and also very caring themselves, they will support each other to be part of a like-minded, you know, group of women. For them, that's really important, a lot more important than they realize. So initially they all come, you know, for fitness because they perhaps want to lose a bit of weight or they want to boost energy or feel better in themselves. But actually that when they really get involved in the community, it's why they also stay because it's it's a very powerful uh I mean, it certainly was during COVID, but it still has continued that way. And in fact, it's just got even deeper and, and better. Mm. It's so interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, for me, when I first did the Let's Reset book two and a half years ago now with Rankin, mm. I never, so, you know, we got groups of people and, and about 20 people at a time. So there's nearly 200 people in the book. Um, and the thing that I hadn't thought about was that when we got people together, of course, the experience of being ph photographed by ranking is extraordinary. It's such fun and you get amazing photos, even though the photos we were doing were very much kind of, they're quite hard hitting and, you know, raw and different. But um, it was the stories because we got them all to tell their stories of their resilience and some of their mental health challenges. Um, but then they talk to each other. And that's the piece. And now so often people will come together or we'll get them at, a, you know, our conference together or one of our events and they will have met each other at that moment. And they become friends or they just know each other or they feel part of something. And I, you know, again, the bit when we do our workshops, the bit that is the strongest 
is people storytelling to each other. Yeah. And up and sharing. And it never ceases to amaze me. And I think I, I've always, it sounds so ridiculous, but whenever I share things, I'm always amazed that other people feel like I feel. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always rather delighted. And I think if only I had been able to do that when I was younger, more easily, I mm. think I would have been, um, I'm not even sure I would have been happier. I think I would have probably felt less alone. Mm. Um, that, you know, not that it was even big things I was going through. It was just stuff that I just didn't realise. I just thought it was only me that felt. Yeah, exactly. That me too, that me too, the power of the me too when you know, you hear someone share something that really hits home and, and, and resonates, you know, makes you instantly feel better because you're just not, you realize you're not suffering in the corner on your own. You can actually open up and share about it or at least know that you're with people who understand. And that is very much the case, you know, with my group. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm always amazed at the stories that they share. And there's not only just obviously, you know, great results in terms of what they're experiencing from, from working with me, but actually the ripple effect stories, which are the ones that I love the most and are the most powerful. Mm. Um, I mean, I've got a couple examples. One, yeah, do tell us, share us an example. That'd be well, lovely. Well, one amazing woman, she'd been in the corporate world for a long, long time. And she had a, um, she was living with a child who had a disability and she was, you know, a parent who was struggling to try and get him equal access to various activities at his school. And it, and it was a, a big problem, not just for her, but lots of parents in the same position. And she had a desire to start her own business, but she didn't feel she had the confidence to. So we worked together and we talked about it and we got her to a place where she felt very physically strong. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things I like to embed in, you know, in women particularly who are very ambitious and have got some big goals is to, to walk taller, to stand better, yeah. to breathe better, because it'll not only help them with their confidence, their own self-esteem, but, but helps for how they deliver, how they speak, how they feel um, in a situation, their presence, their confidence, their influence, right? So she left her career and started her business and she said to me, you know, I would never have done that had I not worked with you because I feel so much more confident in my body. So we often don't think of it that way, right? Another one is a lovely, lovely lady. She, um, she had been suffering for, for some time in a very toxic relationship and didn't have, I guess, the support on what to do or how to get out of it. Again, another successful story where she is very, very happy now and she made some big decisions in her life to get rid of the toxic relationship and start a fresh new life. And it's been very, very transformative for her and her children. Um, you know, I've got countless stories, I've got countless stories. And these are the ones that really hit home to me the most because I really see the depth of how important looking after ourselves and putting ourselves first is, not just in the workplace, but in every aspect of our life, you know? Yeah, and but it's isn't it? You know, I have a couple of girlfriends who are recently divorced or going through a divorce or separated, and you know they've done exactly like you, worked on their on their mental and physical well being. They look amazing. Mm. They are working in a way they've never worked before, and you know, of course, our children are all growing older, so it's very different, and I get that. 
But it kind of frustrates me that it so often takes that massive reset, often around relationships mm-hmm. or a moment at work, you know, a kind of, okay, I literally can't stay in this job anymore, um, to really make us do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I wonder if you have any insight into why do we have to get to such a, you know, difficult place before we will take that moment to go, particularly women that go, okay, I am now going to look after myself. I am going to take this big moment and it's going to enable me to be brave. But you're kind of at such a broken place to begin with. You've got so far to go. Can't mm. we do it kind of like when we're feeling pretty good at the beginning? Mm. I mean, big question, Suki, my goodness. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, why do, we, why do we repetitively do things until the point of that lowest point do then we do the big reset? Why do we do that? I think for women, if we're talking about women, and, and, and I guess depending on the situation, um, I think a lot of it's got to do with how we really see ourselves, you know, how we really prioritise ourselves, how we, our own self-worth, um, you know, and I think we, we can get stuck in cycles, you know, or we open a loop. So we open a loop perhaps with a relationship, but it never, we never kind of close the loop on any of the issues that are happening and the loop just gets, keeps going and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and only at that sort of the lowest point do then we decide to make a change. And I mean, it's human nature, I think also. Um, but I think a lot of it has got a lot, I think for women is that we just, we get too bogged down with all the small stuff we're worrying about everyone else except ourselves. We get highly stressed. Um, and again, it comes back to our self-worth. Looking after ourselves often is the last thing we do. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think that's a huge, huge question, a very, very big topic, but um, it depends on the situation. But, I, you know, we, we also are very habitual creatures. And I think if we behave a certain way, if we think a certain way, we act a certain way and that can become a like a walking across, you know, a, gra- a lawn that's got long grass. If you walk on that same path the whole time, it'll bear down to a, to a yeah. pathway that you can see. So a lot of it will have to come down to reprogramming our neural pathways. So we walk across a different angle across the graph, a new way of thinking, a new, a new habit change. And that can take time. I think, you know, breaking old habits or old patterns of thought can feel very, very challenging. It's like a mountain to climb sometimes or too overwhelming to even go there. Too hard basket. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So so if there are some people listening that are going, yeah, yeah, this is me. This is me. I, I know I need to do something. I know I need to change that pathway. I know I need to reset. Um, obviously, they can sign up to, to, to you. Um, but, you know, is there a couple of things that they could do to start? Because I think so often it's really difficult to begin and then make it a habit. What, what kind of couple of things could people do? Well, I think, it's, I think it's really starting at ground zero. So looking at, okay, if someone has a desire to change their health in some way, whatever that may be, actually taking a step even back further and understanding why. Why is it important to you to feel more energized or more confident in your clothes or to sleep better, less stressed? Why is it important to you? 
the why is the, the biggest piece because it's the why that will help people take the step forward because then you have to ask yourself, well, what would my life look like? What would my life look like and how would it be different? How would I feel? What would I be doing differently? What would we do more of if I take this first step forward? Rather than looking at the whole mountain, which can feel very, very overwhelming, is just looking at the first step forward of just making a decision to start. But the why is the important piece. I think if we just have a weight loss goal, there's no heart attached to it. There has to be intention. There has to be some real emotional reason behind why that will make a difference in your life and how important that is. The next step is the how, you know, how you actually then build it in. And I help women from the very beginning of that fully doubtful stage to then get them to absolutely kicking butt, <laughs> you know. So it's it can be quite a transformative thought process. The physical side of things actually is probably the easier part. It's actually getting out of our own way. And, you know, also it's a choice. You know, we have a choice. We have a choice to feel a certain way, to react a certain way, you know, we have a choice on how we use our time on this planet. And if, you know, if, if health is really important to you and you know that you would like to build it into your life somewhere, whether it be fitness and managing your nutrition and your mindset and mental well-being and the accountability, all those kind of things, you know, it starts with your why. It starts with what, what's important yeah. to you. Yeah, and I love that. And I think... You know, I am a great one for writing things down. As people know that listen to this podcast, I have my, uh, you know, my yearly plan sits inside my wardrobe. So I see it every day. Uh, I have a word for the year. Uh, my word this year is action. Um, but, I, but I love the point of the why, because I think that is the key to unlocking it, isn't it? It gives us that moment to continue to remind ourselves this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm getting up half an hour earlier, or this is why I'm making time in my diary. This is why I am going to not eat chocolate and I'm going to eat some raspberries instead. You know, I think, and I think we just need to remember that. And I, so I love that because so often we go into the how and then, and then we come off the rails and then we're very frustrated that we, that we kind of let ourselves down. Mm. Um, but but, I, but, you know, so I really like that point. And I think then the other one for me, you know, Michelle Griffith-Robbins talk, talked about this at Power Up Festival, but I know you use it on your website, which is, you know, movement is life. Mm. So just that point of just, just a movement, you know, like in it today, two yeah. minutes tomorrow is okay. It's better than not doing anything, isn't it? Absolutely. It could be dancing, could be gardening, could be going for a walk. You know, particularly for people who feel like they're starting from scratch, you know, from couch to 5K, however, wherever they're at in their fitness life or their status, you know, it's just picking something that brings you the joy, bringing it back to the joy, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's really important. Um, I mean, for women, you know, I, I would absolutely advise at some point, you know, it would be great if you could pick up some weights. <laughs> Because these yeah. are very important to help protect our bone density as we move through phases of our life. And actually can be incredibly empowering. I find that strength training, you know, for, you know, busy business women is, is such an effective tool to empower them to feel stronger, the inner strength as well, that they can really handle them themselves, you know, around a board table or, you know, in a negotiation or something. That that muscle strength can really translate into that inner strength and how we project ourselves. 
So yes, I would say if anyone is thinking, what should I do? What should I even consider? Well, find the things that you love and then give some weight training a go. Um, that's something that we do a lot of. Um, yes, and, and I, I so agree. I didn't really do any weight training until about 10 years ago. Peter, that's such fantastic advice. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing today your story, for being so open about it, but particularly for talking to us about how you're helping women. You know, it, it's not excluding men. And, you know, they're a very important part of this journey as well. But I do think that there are very specific things that as women we need help and support on. And, uh, you know, brilliant that you are doing that and supporting it. And thank you so much for sharing with us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.